for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never, ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're talking about the importance of God's word. This is lesson number four. And for those of you that weren't here, maybe a quick review of some of the things we already shared. First of all, only God's word provides answers to life's most serious questions, most important questions like, number one, where did we come from? Number two, why are we here? Number three, where are we going? You know, some people flounder through life because they can't answer those questions. They don't even know why they exist or why they live while they're here on this earth. And so they just live a life just, I guess, that's just self-satisfying. But still those questions just, you know, lurk in a person's mind. So the quick answer, the very quick answer, the short answer, number one, where do you come from? God created us in his own image and likeness. Number two, why are we here? To choose between life and death. Life and death. You see, if you go to the book of Genesis, you know what you discover in the book of Genesis chapter 2? In the middle of the garden, there, was, there were two trees. A tree of knowledge of good and evil and a tree of life. And Adam and Eve were told you can eat from all the trees in the garden. Now notice, all the trees, including the tree of life in the garden. But not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat of that tree, you die. Actually, the, the literal Hebrew in partaking of that tree, dying, you will die. It's a twofold death. Dying spiritually, you will die physically. Do you, do you see that? Okay. So we see these two trees, and they, re they represent life and death. And they had to choose. Now, why is it that they could have partaken of the tree of life before they sinned? Because they had life. I'm not saying they did. Maybe they didn't, but it was there. He didn't say you can't partake of it, right? You can still partake of it. So if they would have partaken of it, it wouldn't have affected them in any way other than the fact that they had life because they already had life. But this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is really called the tree of desire. And when you notice Satan got Adam and Eve to focus their attention on the tree of desire, a desire to make one wise, and they, of course, fell for it, and once they did and they separated themselves from God, what does God immediately do? Surrounds the tree of life with cherubim and cherubim. Kicks man out of the garden. Doesn't let him get near that tree of life. Because it seems like as though if they would have partaken of that tree of life, now that they're dead spiritually, it would have perpetuated the condition of eternal death. No redemption. Like Lucifer. Can you imagine that? Forever in a state of perpetual death with no means by which to escape. That is the end of Lucifer and all his angels. So he had to protect man from that tree and the tree from that man and get him out of the garden and then implement his plan of redemption.
Thirdly, where are we going? Well, I, I know the message is a little heavy, a little, a little intense, a little. Not too many preachers want to approach and teach on the subject of hell anymore. You do a study, you'll find out these studies are being done everywhere. That even in many major denominations, they back off of it. Many don't even believe in a place of like hell. Or if they do believe in it, they don't believe it's a place of eternal suffering. Okay? So, we're just going to roll up our sleeves and look at it a little bit. But, two places that a person goes when he or she dies. The present heaven or the present hell. And we go there to await judgment. And there are two judgments. We talked about the great white throne judgment. And we talked about the Bema or the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the third thing we talked about is your belief gets you into one of those two places. Our belief gets us into heaven. Our belief gets us into hell. Our behavior determines at the right, let's say at the judgment seat of Christ, it determines our rewards. Our behavior in a place called hell at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm sorry, at the great white throne judgment determines the degree of one's punishment. So that's kind of wrapping up what we talked about last week. Were you here? Did you get all that? Okay. So where are we going? To heaven or to hell? What are we waiting for? The judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment? What gets us into heaven? Our belief. What gets one into hell? Their belief. Remember Jesus said, He that believes on me has life. He that believes not on me is dead. It's your belief. It's not your behavior. It's not your conduct. It's not how you live. Your belief will get you into heaven or hell. Your behavior gets your rewards or your degree of punishment. So as we continue our study... Look in Matthew 25, 41, some thoughts about hell. Hell, number one, is a place originally prepared for Satan and his angels, not for people. These are facts about hell. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Everybody say the next word. Prepared for the devil and his angels. That was very clear. Hell was not prepared for man. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, in the book of Isaiah, look at this. Sometimes my inquiring mind, because of, I like to teach a lot, makes me do these studies and go and find some things out and answer certain questions like, in creation, we don't hear of hell. You read the first chapter of Genesis, do, do we say God said and there was hell? You don't read that anywhere, do you? Mm -mm. So just kind of stay with me here and listen. How, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. He had a throne above the stars of God. I will sit 
also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, the highest place of all. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He was beautiful. He led the worship glorious. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Notice the spectrum from the sides of the north to the sides of the pit. Highest place to the lowest place. Do you notice when he says there you'll be brought down to hell? Now this is personal, so don't take me dogmatically. I believe that's when it was prepared. I believe hell was prepared right then in response to Lucifer's rebellion. Boom. You're brought down to hell. Something to think about, isn't it? So it wasn't prepared for us. It wasn't prepared for humanity. It was prepared for Lucifer and the angels that followed him in the rebellion. Some people say like, why? How can a loving God? You know, some people believe this and that's wrong for them to believe. But anyhow, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Wait a minute. Let's turn that around. How can a created being so beautiful, so brilliant, so powerful, so amazing like Lucifer rebel against the loving, caring God is the question. Do you see that? It's not a matter of God sending someone to hell. It's a matter of him rebelling against a loving God. Number two, hell was enlarged. I don't know if you ever saw this before in Scripture, but hell was enlarged because of man's following in Lucifer's steps. Look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5. We'll read these verses first. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. Now go on down to verse 13. or I believe it was 13 or 15. 13. Therefore, my people. Now he's talking about the Jewish nation. Because they have no knowledge, their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged itself. It's another name for hell. And opened its mouth beyond measure. Their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he who is jubilant shall descend into it. People shall be brought down, each man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled, but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment. And God, who is holy, shall be hallowed in righteousness. It starts with Adam and Eve. And the question is, how can they have chosen the path that they took in light of the fact that they were in a beautiful garden with every provision and walk daily with a loving God. How can they decide to rebel 
and joined forces together with Lucifer, who now became Satan, and dishonor the living God that they loved and served. Notice hell was enlarged. Hell was expanded. It's one thing when you say, hey, we're in a church project. We're expanding because, you know, we have to make room for more people. God is going, man, there's too many going down there. Lucifer, his bunch. Now we got Adam and Eve and who came along with them. And now my nation, my people. Look at Matthew's gospel. Look at verse, at chapter 21. This is what Isaiah was talking about. Notice Jesus refers to it. This is Jesus. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and dig the wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one. He's talking about the prophets. Killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first. And they did unto him them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son. Who's he? Saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what shall he do unto these husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their seasons. You know, that's talking about the Gentile people. See, these Jewish people decided to reject the son. And oftentimes I hear people say, well, they're all going to heaven because they're Jewish people. All Jewish people go to heaven. They're God's chosen people. Do you not realize that Jesus said about the people that rejected him will be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, and even more so since they saw him. He was the one that was to be sent to them. He was their Messiah. He's not happy with them. Now, look at um, Matthew 20, uh, 7, verse 13. And this should be something that really opens our eyes really wide this morning. Is it okay to be a little bit intense? And be taught as well. Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many, everybody say many, there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few, everybody say few, there be that find it. How many are descending into Sheol or hell every day? Many. How many are entering into the kingdom? Few. You see why he had to enlarge it? Because people are making decisions not to follow God's plan, not to follow God's will, not to follow God's way, 
to choose to believe whatever they want to believe, and they will be lost. So it's not God sending anybody into a place called suffering or hell. It's people making decisions to walk away from a living God and ignore his counsel. Look, Jesus said you must be born again to be saved, to enter his kingdom. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Absolutely. Now, it's been enlarged because of that reason. But look at Matthew 25 and verse 34. And this kind of puts things really in order. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. What's the next word? Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You know what that tells me? It tells me that God wants to bless humanity. That God's plan was to bless humanity. It was for man's comfort. It was for man's goodness and blessing to experience the quality of life that he wanted them to have. But man's misery was based or is based on the decision that he made to rebel against God and ignore his counsel. So you see here it was prepared. Hell was prepared for Satan and his angels. But the kingdom has been prepared from the foundation of the world for God's people. And he wanted everybody to be there with him. So man's misery was based on his decision, not on God's intention. Number three, hell is a place of torment. Look at Matthew 5, 22. It's a place of torment and eternal suffering. But I say unto you, and, and let me just say this before I read this. This is not a message of hellfire and brimstone. In other words, oh, I know you're trying to scare people to get saved. Let me tell you something. Get saved. Because if you don't, you'll be scared. The moment you depart from this body, you will be scared beyond measure. Without a doubt. Let's read it. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say unto his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire the word there for hellfire in the greek is gehenna and it's talking about the valley of hinnom in the valley of hinnom and they you see remember this jesus is relating this because he knows they know about gehenna he knows they know the valley of hinnom he knows that that's the place where the kings that were bad kings got all the israelites to begin participating in worship of moloch and in that form of worship, what they did was they would have this statue of Moloch. And he would be there in the midst of this valley. And they would all go. And the fire would be a strong fire. A lot that, and they, and they, this body of this statue would be inflamed like hot metal. And they would walk up and place their children in his arms. And the screams that came from those children, some infants, some older, would be so loud, horrifying, they would bound on their drums and play loud music as loud as they possibly could so that they could block out the screams of those children that are being sacrificed. And Jesus said to them, You'll be cast into Gehenna, where there's gnashing of teeth, where there's weeping, where there's wailing. And they knew exactly 
what he was talking about. Some people say, well, see, he didn't really mean the literal hell. He just meant that valley. <laughs> really? Is that where a man goes and his body is then uh, cremated at that place and it's, he no longer exists? It's not what he was talking about. He's talking about a place of eternal suffering. Um, look at Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42. He used this to paint an image of what hell is like. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast him into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's the picture he is painting to these people of hell. This is what hell looks like. And that's where you'll be incarcerated until the great white throne judgment. So you see you're here in this present hell, but then... After a judgment, you'll be cast into the eternal lake of fire. That is where people are going. Anyone want to buy a ticket? I didn't think so. Look at Luke 16. I use this often, and you know I do, but it bears repetition. There was a fictitious rich man. I just want to make sure you're awake this morning. There was a what? A certain rich man, you know why I'm saying that? Because some people, some preachers say, see, this is only a story. These people are not real. Okay, well, let's read on and see. Was his clothed in purple and fine linen, fair sumptuous every day. And there was a certain beggar, a certain beggar named. Oh, he's got a name. How can it not be real? Which was laid as a gate. Full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crowns which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sores. Came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, seeing Father Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in these flames. But Father Abraham said, Son, remember thou... In thy lifetime receive thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there was a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the law, and the prophets rather, and let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead. Don't you like how this guy's just really pouring it on, trying to convince Abraham? Uh, but if one went from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, uh, if they hear not Moses, that is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the prophets, that's the rest of the Bible, major minor prophets, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And Jesus has been raised from the dead, right? What a conversation. In hell, in Abraham's bosom, Abraham and Lazarus, this rich guy, all we know is he's there. We don't know his name. He's a certain man, though. And this is going on. He is in torment with no plan of escape. Some people might think, well, I'll figure out a way to get out. No, you won't. You see, once you're there, 
you're there eternally. After 10,000 years, you're not one day closer to getting out. After 10 billion years, you're not one day closer to getting out. Would you rather be in that condition or after 10,000 years, I can sing my Savior's praise. Hallelujah. What would you rather do? Oh my, I'd rather sing my Savior's praise. Look in the book of Isaiah 66. Torment was used four times in that section of Scripture. Torment, torment, tormented, torment, flames of fire. It doesn't sound inviting to me. What about you? Okay, notice this. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth. Now, now picture that. We're worshiping there before the Lord. And they're going to go forth and they're going to look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me for their worm shall not die. Neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. It's, here's the picture. It's like there is some certain sort of looking glass. You come from worshiping God and on your way back to your mansion. Ooh. Ooh. Yuck. Whew. As a reminder, you don't sin against God. Nobody sins against God and gets away with it. You see that picture? And look at look in the Jesus also referred to it in Mark's gospel, chapter 9 and verse 48. For their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if you ever got a hold of Bill Weiss's book, we showed his video here of 23 minutes in hell. And he was allowed to enter into and see hell and what took place in hell. And he gives a reference to that verse of scripture where it talks about the worm dies not and the fire is never quenched. And you see for maggots, the worm, there's maggots, so the maggots die not. If you ever have a garbage bag and you see some maggots on it, yuck, right? And the maggots fall into the ground, there's nothing to feed on, what do they do? They die immediately, right? Well, very shortly, because nothing to feed on. What he really was saying was, people that are lost in that condition, the worm will eat their flesh that can never be consumed, and eating it over and over and over and over and over again. And their presence there will provide fuel for the fire that will never be quenched because there's always fuel. So it, he paints a picture of clear, intense, certain suffering for people that reject him and his plan of salvation. Whew. Wow. I like my body... Don't you? I'd rather it be glorified than consumed when it's unconsumable by maggots and not burnt by fire forever. But a picture was painted for him. Let's get off the subject of hell. Let's go on to heaven. Thoughts about heaven. Whew, that was hot. Wow. What do you think? <laughs> right? Whew. Number one, <laughs> heaven is a place where God lives, where Christ lives, and all Christians will go to when they die. Somebody say hallelujah. It's a place of eternal mansions and dwelling places for people to live in and serve God forever. 
Look at John 14, verse 1, 2, and 3. You know, I'm sure. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Notice, you believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to what? That word? What's he going to do there? See, hell was prepared. From the foundations of the world, the kingdom was prepared. And now Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, or if I go to a place and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive to myself that where I am, there ye may be also. So what you have to understand when he says that you, call, you almost had hard trouble talking about hell. Did that trouble your heart a little bit? Whew, you talk about having heart trouble. Let not your heart be troubled, he said. Right? Why? Because in my Father's house, I'm going to prepare a place for you. My Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. What is, wait a minute. Hasn't been prepared yet. Are you getting this? It wasn't prepared yet. There was no prepared place for human beings yet. They couldn't go there yet because there was no place prepared for them. And there was no place prepared for them because something had to be done to provide that prepared place. All right? No one on earth has a permanent dwelling place. Look in the book of Hebrews. And so let's, let's really get this to register in our hearts. No one lives on earth forever. For, it, for this world is not our permanent home we are looking forward to a home yet to come. My parents lived at 2008 Brownlee Avenue, Youngstown, Ohio, 44514 for 62 years. And I've been going back and forth to that house. And this last year, I can't tell you how many times. Whew. When I go back there now to visit my dad, it's sold to another. I can't walk back in the house. But my mother doesn't live there anymore. She moved. We were looking for all kinds of places. But you know what she said? I'm going to heaven. So she moved to heaven. Thank God. There's no permanent dwelling place for man on this earth. We're all going to leave. We need some place to go. On one hand, there's heaven. On the other hand, there's hell. There's no other choice. Actually, you make your decision based on what you believe. And that's where you will go. It's automatic. Can you see that? All right. Now, Christ has prepared for us a permanent dwelling place motivated by what? What was he motivated? That where I am... You, Carly, may be also. You, Cody, may be also. You, Ashley, may be also. You, Dante, you, Chuck, and I can go on down the list. The motivation for him to, going, to go there to prepare a place so you can be with him. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. He wants us all to be with him, not with them in eternal suffering. So he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Okay, Jesus, how do we do this? Number one, by the shedding of 
his blood. That place cannot be prepared. See, a road had to be paved for us to get there. And a place had to be provided by him. And by the shedding of his precious holy blood, we have a place prepared for us in glory. The only way we can enter in is through him, which is why he said, I am the only way, truth, and life. And all these others that are out there, I, I, I chuckle, I laugh ridiculously when I hear these professors out there who think they're so intelligent. How could someone so smart be so dumb? Right? There is no God. Well, that identifies you. The Bible says only a fool says there is no God, Mr. Fool. Right? So no matter how smart you are, you can be a fool if you say there is no God. Jesus shed his blood to prepare a place for us. And because he did, a place has been prepared for us. He also prepared a place for us by going there as our forerunner. Look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus. You realize that no one could enter in before him? All those people in Abraham's bosom were not allowed to go to heaven until he first went in, paved the way with his blood. And then as our forerunner, praise God, he invites others to come. It's almost like this. You could picture this. Those cherubim, those seraphim, they're there with flaming swords protecting the holiest place of all. No one's allowed in. The tree of life is being protected as well because why? Man was kicked out. He has no right to be there. No entrance to that place. But all of a sudden, Jesus emerges from the grave. All of a sudden, he's standing there with the basin of his blood. And when he stands before the cherubim and stands before the seraphim, and they say, what qualifies you to walk beyond where we stand? To approach the tree of life, to approach the throne of Almighty God. And he pulls out the basin of his blood and he stands there and says, I shed my blood for the sin of humanity. That's why I enter in. And he entered in with his blood and cleansed it all. Providing a place for you and for me. And so thank God as our forerunner, he took his banner and he placed it, praise God, not on the moon. But he took that banner, praise God, and he staked his claim right there in the land of glory and said, I'm bringing others with me. Look at Romans 8, 29. Oh, I'm bringing others with me. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's the firstborn, others are other born. I don't know what born I am, but God knows what born I am. Right? There were 120 in the first, we read the first book of Acts. You're there somewhere, but your forerunner went in for you, stake the claim for you. He went in, thirdly, with his name on our backs. He carried us in as our high priest before the throne of God and says, You see these, Father? They belong to me, and they're coming into the kingdom because I prepared a place for them. So let's get mansions going here. Let's get buildings built here. And I'm talking about permanent dwelling places for them to live in, not those little shacks they have on earth. No, no, no. These places are they're, they're made in gold. The streets are paved with gold. That's asphalt. Mansions, Father. Mansions for your loved ones. 
a place has been prepared for you of magnificent glory by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's called heaven. And so, number two, heaven is a place of, you ready for it? Ultimate living. Ultimate living. Look in Revelation 21. I love this a whole lot better than talking about Hades. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters... What happens to them? And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay. So the point is, in heaven, we have a place of ultimate living. People on this planet talk about your best life now. Your best life now. Listen to me. That's only possible if you're going to hell. Because trust me. Get all that you can out of this life. Because it will be your best life. If you end up in hell. Because if you end up in hell. There's nothing on this planet. That can be worse than where you're going. Think about that statement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice these two verses. For any person outside of Christ, this is the best life you'll ever experience. And listen to what Paul said. And why do you think I keep risking my neck? This is from the Message Bible, by the way. Risking my neck in this dangerous work. I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do this if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah Jesus? Do you think... I was just trying to act heroic when I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, hoping it wouldn't be the end of me. Not on your life. It's resurrection, resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say the way I live. If there's no resurrection, we eat, we drink. The next day we die. And that's all there is to it. But don't fool yourselves. Don't let yourself be poisoned by this Anti-resurrection loose talk. Bad company ruins good manners. Oh, I've had people tell me, I'm, I'm going to go to... Remember I tell you about that old lady? 
that she's like gray-haired, 80-some-year-old lady, came up to me after funeral service, and she said, Sonny, you call me Sonny. I was a little bit younger back then. I know where I'm going when I die. I thought, oh, a breath of fresh air. She said, I'm going straight to hell and play strip poker with the devil. My eyes got bigger than you've ever seen them get big. I just looked at her and I said, you don't have to. She goes, that's where I'm going. With a smile on her face. No concept of what we're talking about here today. Think about that. <clears throat> Horrible. What did Paul say? Man, you better eat, drink, and be merry right now. Get all that you can right now. Did you ever notice that all the things that make you merry don't last forever? Don't last very long? They don't, do they? Hey, I bought a 300 game. Perfect game. Woo, glory. Trophy. Next game was 117. Right? Hey, I scored a touchdown. Next play, you broke your leg. It doesn't last, does it? I want a gold medal. It doesn't last. You may have won it, but the ecstasy is gone after a while. Why? Because things on earth are not permanent. For Christ, those in Christ, the pains and struggles of this world are as tough as it gets. Are you ready for that one? Second Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18. Did you hear that song that they sang twice today? You're going to have challenges. You might have heartbreak. You might have some pain to go through and some sorrow. But sing for joy. Because you know why? Your light affliction, what you're going through right now, is short-lived. And it's going to be the toughest thing you'll ever have to face. Because when you leave this planet, whew, glory be to God Almighty, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed every day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal, get that word, eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are, which are not seen are eternal, are not subject to change. So what we're talking about is the eternal, the eternal as opposed to the temporal. The temporal, no matter what you're going through, the heartache, the pain, the misery right now, someday will be gone forever and it will be. So heaven is a place where you won't have any of that. And that's why you can have your best life. Look at number three. In heaven, the best life is yet to come. Look at chapter seven of the book of Revelation. You ready for your best life to come? Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's books out like your best life now. Sorry, you better change the title. Because no matter how much money you get, how many houses you have, how, much, how famous you are or whatever, you can't have your best life now unless what? Four of you got that right. <laughs> unless what? Yeah, that's right. So you have your best life now. Look at chapter 7, look at verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. You are going to worship God as you've desired to without any hindrances, without any distractions. And you will be there worshiping the one you see before your eyes. You're worshiping now, you don't see him. You're going to be right there in his presence and you talk about the motivation to worship him. You won't need motivation. You, you won't have to be sitting there like some do and your wife goes, 
What, honey? We're worshiping God. You don't have to do that. You'll be starstruck. I'm telling you right now. When you see him in all his glory, oh, glory to God. Glory to God. You see the point? Your best life is yet to come. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. Grab a hold of this one. Whoo, grab a hold of this one. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. Oh, you ready for it? You'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. You'll never be cold again. You'll never be hot again. Perfect temperature, Chuck. No one will say, Chuck, turn up the heat. Chuck, turn down the air conditioning. It's too hot, Chuck. It's too cold, Chuck. <laughs> and Chuck goes, shoot, boom, shoot, boom, shoot, shoot. We're sorry, Chuck. <laughs> Your best life, Chuck, is yet to come. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Ooh, glory. Look at verse 17. <laughs> it's been a while. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Hallelujah. Every wound, every heartache, every pain will be healed. And never again will you have to face any more sin or confess it, any sickness and overcome it. Temptation, praise God, will be gone forever. None of those things that are former, that are really applied to this life, they are gone forever and ever. And the devil, you'll never have to face again. He'll be having his worst nightmare in the lake of fire. And then finally, and we'll close here. In heaven, unspeakable joy will abound. Oh, I don't know about your salvation, but I do know about mine. When I truly accepted Christ into my heart as my Savior and Lord, and He came in and washed me clean from all my sins, there was in me a joy unspeakable, full of glory. Look at First Peter chapter 1. I mean unspeakable and full of glory. It's like I couldn't even get it out. Just I wanted to shout it out from the mountaintops. Look at Whom having not seen, you love. And whom though now you see Him not, you, you yet believing... You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. What is it? The salvation of your souls. This is the end product he's talking about. When you are in glory, you know, right now the joy of the Lord is our strength. But praise God in glory, your, jo your joy is going to overflow and explode to a degree, to a level that you and I have never even experienced ever, no matter how much we've worshipped God with joy here on this planet. There's going to be an ever-abounding joy, unspeakable and full of glory that will be not just mentioned, but experienced. What's on the inside is going to manifest on the outside. And so what's our conclusion? Where do we come from? God made us. We're told in Scripture He made us in His own image and for His own glory. Why are we here? To choose between life and death. To determine where we want to spend our eternity. To determine what judgment seat we want to attend. The judgment seat of Christ. 
or the great white throne judgment. That's where we're going. And the choice is ours. And the end result, we can join the suffering of those men in that awful place, or we can walk on streets of gold and know that Jesus carried our names on his back. He put in his banner and says, anyone who wants me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Where are we ending up, Lord? I'm the forerunner. And we're entering into an eternal house of glory that I prepared for all those that will love me. So come on board if you want to. Let's stand. Wow. Are you on board? Are you on the glory train? You've got your ticket stamped? Are you sealed in the blood of the Lamb? And when you get before the throne, why do, why do people always say that when you get up there to heaven's gates, Peter answers the door? I wouldn't think Peter would be answering any door. I think John might. He's the humble one. Right? And let's say John, St. John says to you, what gives you the right to go beyond this threshold? By what works?